Few things are harder than the mission of raising your kids. At The Dad Project, we get experienced dads to reveal what's worked for them, offering practical, time-tested advice. Being a successful dad is tough, and we're here to help you get it done. Welcome to The Dad Project. In this episode of The Dad Project, Jim Tierney offers some tools and techniques for talking to dads who are considering divorce. Jim is co-founder of The Dad Project. Dads, I know we have a lot of listeners who have strong, loving, and successful marriages. I believe I have one myself. Over 19 years and 10 children into it, and even though we're not perfect, I think my wife and I have figured out a lot about how we can truly love each other despite each other's faults. We have a mindset of it being the two of us against the world, in a sense, that we're partners in trying to build a family culture and that we have the true and lasting happiness of our children as a shared goal. If we have disagreements or we fight, if I really mess up, we know how to say we're sorry and we know we're in it together. And you other dads with successful marriages, perhaps you have a similar experience to mine. I get asked for marriage advice pretty frequently. Sometimes, unfortunately, I simply get told how another guy is being driven crazy by his wife. Sometimes the pleas are desperate. Sometimes they're resigned to a worst case scenario. Usually, at least there's a glimmer and very often a flame of hope that the marriage can be saved. Are you noticing what I'm noticing here as I record this in the year 2020? The more isolated circumstances brought on by COVID-19 restrictions on work, travel, and social interactions that we took for granted have been taken advantage of and used with great effectiveness by many families to bring back family dinners, movie and game nights, and much more intentional involvement by those parents who were working outside the home. And yet, for some families, it has increased pressure in the home along many dimensions where one or both of the spouses are selfish about their own needs, interests, desire for alone time, or where they are indignant or self-pitying about the slights, the snider, sarcastic comments, missed opportunities for gratitude to each other, expressions of love or often respect. All of these can build up and lead to pride to resentment and a willingness on the part of a spouse to listen to the temptations that that little cartoon devil on the shoulder whispers or maybe even shouts with the devastating thought, I probably would be happier without her. And we humans tend to be so weak and susceptible to these suggestions. So what do you say to your colleague, your friend, your cousin that utters a cry for help? I don't know if I can take this anymore. Or maybe he's far enough down the road that he's talking about a period of separation, or maybe he's already using the D word. I don't know that what I'm going to say is the right thing for all circumstances, and it's certainly not the advice of a licensed professional, but it's what I do say when I'm faced with these situations. Let me make a couple of disclaimers up front. First, I'll reiterate that I'm not a licensed professional. Second, if there's the threat of physical harm, or there's real bullying, intentional mental torment being inflicted, abuse of any kind, or untreated mental health issues that are endangering anyone in the family. I believe these are grounds for immediate separation while an attempt is being made to resolve these issues. 
Let me add that marital infidelity can make it impractical or even impossible for a marriage to be saved. And I'm heartbroken for anyone who has been abandoned by a spouse who chooses someone else, despite the faithful devotion of that abandoned spouse. Furthermore, there are cases in which, despite a ceremony having been performed, no real marriage ever existed. In other words, one or both of the spouses didn't really understand the nature of the commitment, couldn't make the commitment fully or freely because of some addiction or some mental health issue, some feeling of coercion. Okay, so in this talk, I'm not referring to those extreme cases in which professional help is required or where the past decisions of one or more of the parties have made it objectively impossible for them to live a life together. And lastly, there's no judgment for me if you're a dad who has already been through a divorce. I accept where you are with that. My intent here is not to shame anyone about what they've got going on in their life. My intent is to share with you what I say to the many guys who are married and come to me for advice on saving their marriage. Okay, so back to my intended topic. What do you say to someone you care about who's starting to give up on his marriage? Well, the first thing I do is spend a lot of time listening. In my experience, this can be tedious because with guys in the position we're talking about, it's often a long list of meticulously groomed, coddled, and curated grievances that they'll rattle off to whoever will listen. They often sound rehearsed as easily as they roll off the guy's tongue. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one man to cease listening to the self-centered victimization report of another man, I look for the opportunity to jump in with some questions. Questions are the first things I utter in these circumstances. I start by trying to take him back to the beginning. Why was he captivated by his wife? What were the little things he noticed about her that attracted him and which few others would see? By the way, for reading on the topic of getting back to that original idyllic view of the beloved, check out the book By Love Refined by the Christian thinker Alice von Hildebrand. Next, I point out to my friend, let's call him Grover. Well, Grover, I've heard a lot about what your wife has contributed to this situation. Do you bear any responsibility for where you are right now? I'll ask, how did you react when she did that? How did you react when she said that? Why did you react that way? A good question is, when you've made your wife the most happy, how did that happen? When's the last time you did that? What would happen if you were to try to do that once a day? What's the downside of trying? What has changed, not about her, but about you since that initial time when you were hopelessly in love with her? If I were to sit down and ask each of you to give me your toughest critique of some behavior of the other spouse, and I'm pretty sure you've already told me plenty about her, what would she say about you? What do you do to send her over the roof? Why do you do that? Have you tried to stop? And it might go on like this in an effort to use probing questions to try to get my friend to see his own self-centeredness. And then at some point, we need to get to the heart of the matter by asking, what do you want and what are you willing to do to get there? It's here that we can see if our questioning has really worked on him and started a dawning realization that he's part of the solution. 
Rarely have I seen a marriage pull out of a downward spiral unless both of the spouses want to make it work. Or if one spouse is totally clueless about the injuries the other thinks he is suffering, and that cluelessness can be a real thing, well, then it takes the effort of that one injured party. So here's what I say to guys who need to be shaken out of that mindset that their wife is to blame for all their problems. First, I'll say, Grover, you need to get off the pornography. And I'll go into it prepared to sit with the uncomfortable silence that results. Pornography is everywhere, easily accessible, easily hidden, and many married men are in its addictive grip. Rarely have I been wrong that pornography is a factor. And when I've been wrong, the guy's curious, careless, and idle internet clicking habits put him at great risk for leading to what you might call gateway drugs. And by this, I'm talking about clickbait ads and the pseudo news stories that rely on those ads by the use of suggestive images of women who are not Grover's wife. Bad news. Encourage Grover to avert his eyes, close that browser, look at a photo of his wife, do 30 push-ups, go for a run, talk to his daughter about how the long division quiz went, anything else, anything. Next, I'll return to the idea of what attracted him to his wife from the very beginning and try to help him build habits to dust the cobwebs off that glorious image of his wife from the early days of their romance. I'll encourage him to frame a little copy of their wedding photo, put it on his desk, tape it to the inside of his hard hat to look at in between every conference call or when he goes on break. And while he's looking at her, he needs to think of something specific that he could do to rekindle that love. And here's a big thing. His actions need to be about doing things for her, sacrificing time for her, setting aside work for a date night. And at some point, they should make his wife wonder, what has gotten into him? Why is he so much nicer to be around? Depending on how he answers some of those specific questions from earlier in the conversation, there might be a need to point him in the direction of reading on topics such as love languages and forgiveness. Look at the works of Dr. Gary Chapman on that. There's a great book on how the temperaments play into relationships by Art and Lorraine Bennett. Next, with Grover, I'd go deep on the impact divorce has on kids. If you need statistics to shock your friend out of faulty assumptions, I recommend drawing heavily on the extremely compelling research of Dr. Brad Wilcox, who directs the nonpartisan National Marriage Project at the University of Virginia, which you can check out online at nationalmarriageproject.org. Dr. Wilcox has a PhD from Princeton. He's also a professor of sociology at UVA senior fellow at the Institute for Family Studies, which you can find online at ifstudies.org. You look at his educational background and some of the quality of his research into the family, you realize he's just a smart scholar who reports what the data really says, not a fringe player with an agenda. You can also find some very accessible research at yourdivorcequestions.org. Okay, ready to be blown away by Brad Wilcox's research? Here we go. 65% of children who live with one parent get only a high school diploma or less. Only 8% get a bachelor's degree. Children living with one parent have twice the rate of incarceration, twice the rate of unemployment, and other undesirable detours in their lives. 
They have much higher rates of drug abuse, suicide, depression, teen pregnancy, school failure, and poverty. Here's an interesting statistic. Among 28 to 30-year-old adults who lived in intact families versus families with a step-parent, men who did not live in intact biological families were five times more likely to suffer unemployment during those key wage-earning years. And get this, women, 60 times more likely. If kids lived with non-married adults, and this doesn't distinguish between those whose families started out married and ended up in cohabitating but unmarried households, and those whose parents were never married and live with cohabitating adults, how's this for a set of statistics that prove the value of marriage to kids? Kids living with unmarried adults, 116% more likely to use illegal drugs. 60% less likely to graduate from high school, five times more likely to suffer from serious emotional problems. Now, get ready to get angry, dads. The incidence of physical, sexual, and emotional abuse is 10 times the frequency when the child is living with mom and her boyfriend, who is not the child's father, versus living in an intact biological family. It is not a stretch to say that the greatest threat to the well-being of a child in America is mom's boyfriend. Guys, you might have had a great stepdad. You might be a great stepdad. And thanks be to God for that. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about what the statistics say nationwide. So I'm grateful that you're one of the good ones. But your being one of the good ones doesn't mean we shouldn't go to the wall to uphold the value of the marriage of biological parents. If we can get our friend Grover to take stock of these facts, I think it puts us in a position to say, look, even if you're truly, totally right about all the grievances you listed off about your wife, even if you own 0% of this problem, even if I grant you that you have a crazy wife who makes bad decisions, who doesn't respect you, consider that your kids might be a lot better off if you just hang in there and love a crazy wife more than she's able to love you. I mean, think about it. Any spouse I've ever spoken to who has gone through divorce feels abandoned in some way, and highly resentful. We humans tend not to make good decisions when we are in a state of resentment. So you might very well find yourself in a situation where your kids live most of the time with another man, sought out by your former spouse during a state of high resentment. Given what we know about the risks of children living with mom's boyfriend, is this really the thing that's best for your kids? Forget about your own desires. What about your kids? And let me tell you, if you have a crazy wife and you stick it out and you will yourself to be your best self in that house toward your wife and in the presence of your kids, your kids will start to realize what's going on. Stick it out for 20 years with an emotionally wounded or chronically untruthful or manipulative or even just selfish and mean spouse, and you display the kind of patience and kindness you want your kids to grow up with, You will be a hero to your kids, a no-kidding hero. How many opportunities do we get to be a hero? The alternative, huge risk that your kids don't understand what's going on, pick sides, and feel abandoned by you too. And if mom is really mean and selfish as you think she is, boyfriend number one isn't going to last. So what does that make you in the kids' eyes? Far from being a hero who endured great hardship for their sake, 
Their own dad might end up being viewed as just the first in a string of seven guys who abandoned them. And I don't think I'm being overdramatic here, dads. Talk to someone whose dad left and whose mom continued to struggle with relationships. Now, guys, I want to say this one more time because I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. If your own divorce got kids out of a dangerous situation, if your spouse was unfaithful and you had to leave a marriage that was really no marriage at all, if you are a heroic stepdad to a formerly abandoned family, I'm not talking about your situation. And I sincerely have no intent to pass judgment on a situation I know nothing about. I'm giving this talk because I get asked advice a lot, and this is what I say. I go into these conversations from an assumption that this suffering friend would benefit from answering some tough questions, which can clarify aspects of the situation that he might not have considered. And the place I start these conversations is from an assumption that my friend and I should try to come up with a game plan to save his marriage. This is one man's report out. This is what I've said to friends and what seems to have helped them look at things from a different angle. If you think you're in over your head with the issues your friend Grover and his wife are having, there's a guide to finding a marriage counselor at yourdivorcequestions.org. By the way, I came across that resource while I was on the website of the Institute for Family Studies, which I mentioned. It's a terrific organization that cuts through a lot of the bad conventional wisdom about marriage and family life. I recommend checking them out and getting on their mailing list. Dads, supporting the marriages of other couples supports the communities we want to build and in which we want our kids to live. In my experience, men who are contemplating divorce often take a pretty healthy nudge in the right direction to get them back on track. I think in our current circumstances, we need to put a lot of invitations out there to give our friends permission to ask for help. It's being a good friend to ask Grover how he's doing, how his wife's doing, how his kids are doing and how they're coping with the distance learning, and if it's working okay for them to be working remotely all the time, and how he's dealing with it all. He doesn't have to share anything he's not ready to share if we just ask a couple simple questions. And if he does offer something troubling, it's a call for help. We don't have to do it alone, but we can't leave a suffering and confused friend alone. We can ask the advice of other great husbands we know, and start helping our friends so that they have their support of a listening ear and advice that can make a difference. Dads, you tuned in because you want the best for kids. Let's lean into these conversations with our friends so that we don't leave what is best for kids to chance. Let's assume going in that we are never going to give up on a marriage and the kids who are in their best position to thrive when they have married parents who will put in the effort to make it work. Hey, thanks for listening to The Dad Project. If this talk was valuable to you, please go to our website at dadproject.net and make a voluntary one-time or recurring donation to help support our operations. Any amount helps. Catch you next time at The Dad Project.